Well, we're considering the seven sayings of the Lord Jesus, seven phrases and sentences recorded for us while he was upon the cross. And we've come to the third saying. It's found in John's Gospel, chapter 19, and verses 25, 26, and 27 record the words that he said. We're considering this morning the words of the Lord Jesus, which showed great affection for his mother, the mother of the Lord Jesus. It's impossible for us to understand everything that's going on in these two phrases. Behold, thy son, said he to his great friend, John, the disciple who was much loved. And then in verse 27, Behold, thy mother, he said to Mary. So we consider these sayings. We've considered that there's a wonderful harmony between these seven sentences recorded in four Gospels, but only one of them, as you might see on your sheets, the fourth saying, which God willing, we'll consider next week, only one of them is repeated. And I think it's very significant that the one that's repeated is the one that really is the apex of all the seven sayings. All of them are divine, all of them are rich, but when the Lord Jesus says those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There will be a depth that we can never plumb. And so I think it's important and noteworthy that that of all the seven sayings is the only one which is repeated in two Gospels. Well, by the time we come to John 19 and verse 25, and when we read these words, now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, it's probably the second, maybe the third hour of the six hours which Christ spends on the cross. Six hours of agony, suffering, pain, anguish, before he is forsaken by his own Father. Six hours of depths, of suffering which go far, far beyond the physical. He enters the realm which we can't go into, where the pain and the suffering can never be comprehended. For in those six hours, the sin of all of his people, not all people, but those whose names the Father is given to the Son, and he has them on his heart. And all of those people, and all of their sin, he's taking their punishment as their substitute. In just six hours, somehow, 
indescribably, incomprehensibly, he is bearing their sin. There are many watching on soldiers, religious leaders, but there is watching his own mother. There stood by the cross. The word stood by doesn't quite grasp what it means. It means stood beside the cross, probably at the very foot of the cross, is his own mother. His own mother and a gathering of other ladies. His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas. And Mary Magdalene, the woman who'd been taken from a dark, demonic life, out of whom was cast many devils. There they are, the ones to whom he meant the most are closest to the cross. And initially, at least, the ones to whom he meant the least are beside him. There stands Mary. Just notice that in the first saying, we have a son speaking to his father. In the second saying, we have a lost son speaking to Christ, his only hope. In the third saying, we have a son who loved his mother and a mother who loves his son speaking to one another. There is a beautiful symmetry, a pattern, there's a depth, there is something in the way that the scriptures are organized. There's a delightful harmony. When you look at all the chords woven together, you see a tapestry which is divinely constructed, divinely woven. There is Mary at the foot of the cross. And it says... Now there stood Mary, and it says, verse 26, When, when Jesus therefore saw his mother. We don't know exactly when these things happened, but this is usually considered to be the third saying. His mind has been upon the crowd. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He doesn't go to family first. He speaks to the crowd and prays to the Father as he speaks about the crowd to his Father. But now he turns his attention to Mary. Mary, in her moments of grief, as we shall consider, she's had a life of sorrow and grief, but in her greatest moment of grief, she would stand at the cross. She would be next to her own dear son, standing by. This morning, do you know sorrow and grief? 
Is there something in your life that cuts right to the heart? Is there some burden that you haven't shared with anyone? Maybe you have a burden that you can share and we can pray for you. Do come and see me. But this woman is going through a very public sorrow. And where would she be but at the foot of the cross? And there's a lesson there for us in all our griefs and sorrows, in all our burdens. Where would you go? In mourning, in grief, in hardship, in difficulty, where would you go? She would stand at the cross. She would be near her son. If you have your hymn book, she might like to turn to hymn number 222. 222. The hymn writer, as they so often do, gets it just right. This is what the hymn writer says. Elizabeth Charles, 222. Never further than thy cross. Never higher than thy feet. That's where Mary was. Here, earth's precious things seem dross. What's the point of another possession? Another car? Clothing? All the things that we might spend our money on, earth's Precious things seem dross. Here, earth's bitter things grow sweet. Do you know, in the moments of sorrow, Mary is beginning to realize that what's causing her the most pain is going to cause her the most joy through the very hours and days of the life that she lived that follows. Well, whilst other disciples and followers desert the Lord Jesus, there's the women. There's the women. Often the prayer meetings of the churches down the centuries, they've been propped up by the women. Not many men. We heard of our brother that we pray for today in Kenya. They have a prayer meeting. There's not many men there. But the women come. Down through the years, it's been the women that prayed and kept up the church. And there at the foot of the cross, there are notable, named women. Where's the men named? I don't know. Maybe we can speculate later. We want to think this morning of three headings. We're going to consider prophecy fulfilled. We're going to consider the perfect man. And there we're going to consider the prudence of the Lord Jesus Christ, his infinite wisdom, prophecy, perfection, and prudence. See if you can follow those three headings and remember them this morning. Prophecy 
fulfilled. A few weeks ago at the turn of the year, we thought of the prophecy of Simeon, that there would be a sword that would pierce through the mother of the Lord Jesus. Well, that's the prophecy that comes to fulfillment, surely, in these verses here. Just think of Mary, a teenager, and she hears the catastrophic news of a pregnancy. A pregnancy which, in a sense, she didn't want, she didn't ask for, she hadn't been involved in, a, preface, a pregnancy that had never happened before and will never happen again because the Holy Spirit had come upon her. Just think of the consequences. Shame, scorn, gossip. That's just the first sorrow that she'll have to bear. And then Herod says, all the baby boys are to be murdered, killed, killed and destroyed. We can read about it. You might like to turn to Matthew 2 and to 13, as we see how the four Gospels, they're beautifully woven together in this tapestry, Matthew 2 and verse 13. We have to pick out these points to show how the word of God is God-breathed. Let's read verse 12, Matthew 2 verse 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they, Mary and Joseph, departed into their own country another way. Verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child, Christ, and his mother. He's in charge. Joseph is the one that the angel appears to. And take them and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. She had fear when Gabriel told her of the child. Now she has a further fear, causing her to flee with her husband. But you know, it seems likely that fear and sorrow will always be shadowing her life. The next mention of Joseph is when the Lord Jesus is just a teenager and they've gone up to Jerusalem with a horde of pilgrims, thousands would have gone and of course the Lord Jesus he stays to do the will of the Father and Joseph and Mary who are thinking in very earthly terms they want to get home and they go with all the pilgrims and a day has gone, a day's journey. Where is he? He's still at Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph are anxious, understandably. They don't know where he's gone. They want to find him. 
and they have to travel all the way back. Have you found him? Where is he? They say. And he's there in the synagogue teaching, listening, answering questions. And from that moment onwards, Mary would need to understand that he is to be about the Father's business, not his earthly father, but his heavenly father. They seem to have lost him, but no, he's found. But there's no more mention of Joseph. I challenge you, you find Joseph. From that day onwards, we can speculate. Certainly at the Feast of Cana of Galilee, who do they call for then? They don't call for Joseph, as would be the custom normally. They call for Mary. It seems that Joseph, by the time that Christ is 30, has died. Maybe that's the reason why Christ had stayed in the family home for that time and taken some responsibility to care for his mother, looking after her with Mary. But there's no mention of Joseph. It seems very likely she is now a widow. As the narrative unfolds in John 19, that would make perfect sense for why the Lord Jesus feels a burden, a responsibility to care for her. But let's carry on with her sorrow. Pregnancy, forced to flee, losing her husband and being widowed. But then just think how Mary feels as the crowd turn on Christ and shout out, crucify him, crucify him. The hatred, the vile words spoken unjustly about her son. But now the suffering has begun. And Mary looks at her own son. She begins to see the blood flow, the crown of thorns. She sees his concern for those who are sinning against him. And she hears his compassion, a better compassion than the one that she had for him as a little child. There she is, probably in her mid to late forties, looking on her son. Prophecy is being fulfilled. The sword is being pushed into her own soul. Just as Simeon had said, the sword would be pierced through thine own soul also. Well, that's our first heading. But then let's think about the second. The perfect man sets forth an example of perfection to the very end. In the midst of his suffering, he's got a thousand and one things upon his mind. He's got every person. He's got all those that he's dying for. He's thinking about their sin. He's thinking about fulfilling and accomplishing the mind of the Father and the Spirit 
and there, in the second, third hour, he sees his mother. He has to keep the law. Otherwise, there's no hope for you and me. The fifth commandment says, Honour your mother and father. And he looks at his own mother. How can he do that? He's not going to be here much longer. How can he care when there's no father? And soon there will be no son and his brothers don't even love him. And yet he will perfectly keep the law. And in just a few words, he will fulfill his duty. He sees his mother. He's going to say words which initially seem to be brusque and rude. Woman, behold thy son. Why does he say woman? Why doesn't he say mum, mother? You know, I think there's a very good explanation. It goes like this. Down through the years, Christ would know that there would be a whole group of those who would worship Mary. They would be taken up with Mariology. They would call her the Blessed Mary. They would make statues and shrines and they would claim that tears would flow down the statues. And yet Christ calls her now, not mother, but woman. He was her mother, but that role of motherhood has ended. And he's going to pass the baton to John. John. When Jesus saw his mother, he says, Woman, behold thy son. From now on, I won't be here. I can't do what I've done up until this now, this moment, perfectly. But I've made provision. Even in the full mind of Christ, he thinks, of his own mother. Do you do that? Do you have a parent, a grandparent? Do you think of them? Do you phone them? Do you honour your mother and father even when they are disrespectful? Even when they don't make the wise decisions? Even when they're horrible to you because you're a believer? Do you honour your mother and father? Christ honours his mother here. He knows the words that it says in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 22. You might like to turn to it, you don't need to. Proverbs 23 and verse 22. Or rather, I may have the verse the other way round. The verse says, despise not thy mother when she is old. Remember your father. Don't forsake them. 
Remember them. Remember what they've done for you. Don't despise them when they are old. Show them honour. Show them respect. Fear them. Respect them. Don't worship them, but give them honour where honour is due. Maybe that's the reason why Christ says back in John 19, Woman, look, here is thy son. What a beautiful economy of words. Four words to obey the fifth commandment. And John is going to be shown his new responsibility. Well, let's look thirdly at the infinite wisdom and the prudence and the affection all at the same time. Prudence, wisdom, affection is demonstrated in the words which he says to John. Again, an economy of words. Behold, look, from now on, Take her to be your mother. She needs care. She's a widow. She's a grieving mother. She's had sorrow throughout her whole life. But John, John, the one that I love, the one whom it said is the one that the Saviour especially loved, look to this woman. Take her in. Care for her. Treat her as your own mother. Please turn back to an important verse. Matthew chapter 26. Apologies, I got the reference wrong to the last verse. Matthew 26 and verse 56. This is important. Where are the disciples? Where are they? At the cross. The soldiers have come, the time has come back in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Lord Jesus, in verse 55, he sees the crowds and they come with swords. They want to fight. Jesus says none of that. Verse 56, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled then all the disciples forsook him and fled. When it comes to the cross, they've gone. Peter, nowhere. Andrew, nowhere. Thomas, nowhere. But there is one disciple who's there. John. Just John. Only one, not twelve. They all forsook him and fled. Only John comes back. All the others have gone into hiding. If you'd like to turn to John 20 and verse 19, we get an insight as to what's happened. John 20, 19. This is after the Lord Jesus has died. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, the day that Christ is going to rise, when the doors were shut 
where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. They've gone into hiding. Just Mary and the women and John and perhaps a few others. But the other disciples, they were in fear, caring for their own lives. Jesus comes into the midst of them and says, Peace be unto you. Oh, what dread they had. But what grief the Lord Jesus had that the people he thought he could depend upon most, they've nearly all gone. If you turn back to Matthew 26 and 35, you see that the other disciples had gone. Matthew 26 and verse 35. It says, Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. And all the other disciples said the same. They said, We won't leave you. We won't forsake you. As soon as it comes to the cross, they've all gone but John. They're nowhere to be seen. Where will you be when the Lord pierces through your heart? Wouldn't you be where Mary was at the foot of the cross? Never nearer than the cross. Never further than the Lord Jesus Christ. What pain, what anguish Mary suffered. But there's a warning here. Never treat Mary as somebody to be worshipped. She's just a woman. She's a woman of sorrow. She's a woman that suffered. But she's a sinner. Nowhere does the Bible say that she was perfect that she should be revered and worshipped, she should be honoured, respected, she was the mother of the Lord Jesus, but never make a shrine and a statue and cause her to be the means of blessing. We have Christ. He is the head of the church. We worship him. He's our only entrance unto God. He's the one who is infinite, perfect, He's the one that shows us how to keep the law. He's the one that kept the law, even to the end, caring for his own mother right to the final hours. Behold thy son. Behold thy mother. Perfect provision made in just a few words. Simon Peter has failed. He said he wouldn't. Mary goes humbly to the cross. She knows she's a sinner. But she trusts in the provision that Christ has made and was making for her. The provision of one to care for her in John. 
and the provision of Christ's blood, which is being shed before her very eyes. Her sorrow will be lifted. The sufficiency of Christ is given for her. And all those that would believe in Christ would come to know of the sufficiency of Christ, not just for family, not just for time, but for eternity, God's provision. Do you know there's an incident in John 20 and verse 10? Let's turn to this as we close. The Lord Jesus has been put in the grave. And we read verse 9, John 20, verse 9. For the disciples, they've come to the grave, Mary and Mary. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. What's happening there is John is taking Mary to his own home. From that time forward, John would obey what the Lord Jesus has said to him. Take her into thine own home. And the apostle records in John 20 and verse 10. Notice that word, their own home. John 20 Verse 10, the disciples who came to the grave, Simon, Peter, and John. They don't go together. They went to their own homes. And John takes Mary into his own home, just as he had been commanded. Christ's words to his mother his words to his much-loved disciple John, what tender care, what control over his thoughts, identifying the needs before him even of his mother and making perfect provision for the hours that soon would be passed when his life would be over. And from then on, John would care for Mary. And Mary's sorrow and her tears would cease because the Lord has made perfect provision for her with his shed blood and with the family provision of a new son that would care for her. Oh, the wisdom of God, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, they are past finding out. Let's sing our closing.